Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Biology Bobbles. This is Thor Van Walsum, uh, and today my guest speaker is the one and only bird nerd, uh, Paul Martin. Say hi. Hi. So this episode, we're going to be going over bird communication, which is something that I, there's a lot more to it than I, I initially thought when I was I was running around. You know, a lot of my um, initial impressions of bird communication was based on a, a Tumblr thread I read in like grade eight. All the birds, you know, you walk out into the forest and all the birds are chirping and then the, the thread was like, when really all it is is mating calls. And I thought that was hilarious at the time and I kind of took that for granted. But as it turns out, based on the Googling I've done over the past couple of days, uh, it's, there's, a, there's a lot more going on than that. I didn't think that this was going to be a, a categorization that would be necessary. <laughs> but uh, we're actually going to separate bird communications into auditory uh, physical and visual communications. All which, right. Yeah, yeah. There are 6,500 spoken languages in the world today and about 9,500 species of birds. I initially thought that it would be safe to say that each one of the birds has their own language, but there's a lot more overlap than we, we initially give them credit. But we're going we're gonna to get back to that. First things first, I wanted to, to talk about the extremes of the spectrum for sound. Now, if you'll remember a few weeks ago... I found this video um, when I was just, you know, running around on YouTube. So this is the white bellbird uh, found in the Amazon. And I'm just going to play it really quick. <laughs> Which, awesome. Yeah, it is. It is awesome. <laughs> uh, when I first heard it, I was expecting, you know, like some kind of blown up version of the chickadee. <laughs> uh-huh. But that is completely different. That yeah. sounds like something straight out of outer space. Yeah, I mean, when you think about what they're doing, you can see in the in the picture, the bird uh-huh. is sitting on an exposed branch way at the top of the canopy, and so uh-huh. he is trying to reach all the females, you know, in Brazil <laughs> right now, as loud as he can possibly be. And yeah, so, uh, it's really quite something. It's probably got some distance on it too. Yeah, uh, that 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 bird call that you just heard on on the uh, podcast was, if you were to hear it in real life, it would sound about fifty percent louder than an ambulance siren right next to your ear. Which is absolutely incredible. I'm, I'm not sure how big they are, but, um, they, I mean, jeez, they look like about the size of a chicken. <laughs> uh, not that no. big, no. no. They're like red winged blackbird size oh or so. Oh my yeah. god. That's yeah. tiny. Yeah. Wow. They, they got to dedicate like 30% of their, their body mass just to being able to, yeah. to, to shout. Yeah, and for some of those things, like if you go to the Amazon basin, you walk into the Amazon, one of the defining sounds is also one of the loudest birds, the Uh screaming piha. Oh, man. And it seems (laughs) like, you know, for some things, uh, sexual selection, you know, females choosing males has led to really extravagant um, plumages like peacocks. Uh In other cases, in these uh, bellbirds and pias, uh, it is sound that has, you know, been the focus of female sexual selection. It is yeah, definitely. I kind of, I kind of hear that like wee wee. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like squeal there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because part of the, one of the things that I like about biology bubbles is it's designed for people that don't have to know anything about biology, uh-huh. but then they can walk away with like a couple of like fancy terms and say, oh, peacock <laughs> uh, feathers is a result of runaway evolution. And, you yeah. know, kind of like rub their fingers together and sip their tea. <laughs> yeah, so some of these traits, uh, you know, that we see those vocal traits and then also a lot of the color signals uh, mm-hmm. are chosen by females and they're often chosen to be extravagant. And, and so this is a case where uh, extravagance can sometimes uh, um, provide information on the quality of a bird, uh-huh. the ability, uh-huh. an honest signal. You know, if you're not 
that healthy if you're not in good condition. You can't possibly make that sound. <laughs> you're not going to be making ambulance sounds. No, you're not going to be making them that loud. And so it's a good good cue for females to use. Um, we often see it when um, you have uh, uh, males unrequired for, for anything else. So females mm-hmm. are coming in, for example, for, for species where all the males kind of get together and display to the females. Females come in and choose the one they like best and then they leave. Um, often you can have really strong sexual selection because all the females can choose the same male. Yeah. And so you yeah. get this super fast evolution, uh, um, you know, change in gene frequency to the next generation, all because the females chose one crazy male, <laughs> you know, that was super cool, whether uh-huh. it had, you know, amazing sound or amazing color. Yeah. That kind of, um, so I, I, I want to ask a question that, that could kind of help me segue to uh, another, another part that I did a little bit of research on. <laughs> Would you say that it's safe to a- assume that when food or like resources in that, in that aspect aren't really limiting factor, then that's when you would start to see the kind of extravagant sounds and, and visual cues from male birds. It seems to be the extremes. Yeah, you see it in those cases. And, and so the males, since they're not necessary for females, you know, to raise their kids, they're mm-hmm. using them simply for their genes. And so they're coming in and the males will often display in what we call <laughs> lex. So it's like a little bar, you yes. know, where all the males dance and display. Uh-huh. And so the extremes, things like birds of paradise, things like katingas, things like hummingbirds, uh, you know, the males are just evolve these amazing displays in an attempt to attract the females. The uh-huh. females come in, copulate, and away they go. Yeah. I'm actually, you stole the words right out of my mouth there with the, the hummingbird. Uh-huh. It's one that I think like, you know, everyone takes it for granted because when you go on and you're watching Netflix and, and you watch the, the episode on all the crazy birds, you know, that's, that's, that's crazy, but it never feels like something really of this world. Yeah. But then you look at hummingbirds, which are these tiny, like, little, little gems, basically, just floating around. And one really interesting thing that I found, hummingbird uh, mating signals... Male ruby-throated hummingbirds display their colors and agility to females in daring... I'm I'm, I'm quoting a little bit from a Wikipedia article. uh, In daring courtship displays. This display involves diving from heights of up to 50 feet and flying side to side in front of the female. Yeah. Which is absolutely incredible. Like, 50 feet. One one thing uh, that I love to do in this podcast is take something that's completely normal to an animal uh-huh. and then try to put it in the the context of like a human doing that. Uh-huh. So 50 <laughs> feet, like I'm trying, I'm trying to think 50 feet. That, that, that's gotta be like the equivalent of that guy that jumped like from outer space, something like that, you know, <laughs> that, that's small to that huge or like the empire state building or something, you know, like it, that's, it's pretty big. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that's absolutely incredible. Um, but uh, we don't want to have Birds of Paradise steal the entire show. <laughs> yeah, this this is something that uh, was, was really, really interesting to me. One thing that I think a lot of people don't know is that there's a lot more complexity in a bird's call than we give them credit, like that Tumblr article saying everything's just, you know, birds saying, hey, baby, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> what you doing? There's, uh, there's one article that I found published in 2016 by University of Zurich that suggests bird calls of some species, like words, are able to be combined according to syntactic rules. Hmm. For example, uh, a warning signal followed by a mating call in Japanese great tits means flock together, <laughs> which, I mean, I don't, I don't want to inference too much, but it sounds like we're actually getting close to being able to, like, speak bird. <laughs> that's, that's what it sounds like here. I'm just going to quote from this, uh, the, the paper. Quote, 
These small birds are known for their large vocal repertoire, and the team discovered that they use a variety of calls and combinations of calls to interact with one another in specific situations. The combination of sounds, such as ABC calls, for instance, means watch out. The great tits use them when a sparrowhawk or another predator is nearby, a potentially dangerous situation. By contrast, D calls means come over here, a call the birds use after discovering a new source of food or when wanting their partner to come to the nest. Tits frequently combine these two calls into ABCD calls when, for instance, the bird encounter a predator and join force to deter them. When hearing a recording of these calls, played in the natural order of ABCD, the birds are alarmed and flock together. When, however, the call ordering is artificially reversed to DABC, the birds do not respond. Which to me sounds like they have kind of like a, like a two-word language. Well, it gets more complicated than that because, oh, you know, it? you start thinking about, uh, you know, those are related to our black-eyed chickadees and you think yeah. about all the different vocalizations they have. You know, if they come into your feeder, you can listen and, and it's remarkable. And then they're mixing them up like those, yeah. you know, to convey all kinds of different information. So it's, you know, you think about the complexity, uh, you know, when you think about 9,600 or 10,000 species of birds, you know, the complexity within those species is incredible geographically, just mm -hmm. like humans. And then the complexity within populations is enormous. And we're just, I mean, we're just barely getting, you know, the hint of what these different vocalizations yeah. mean. Now, one thing I, I do love to do on the show is inference, inference, and just like take it to a, an absolutely crazy level, uh -huh. uh, or potentially not crazy. Uh, what do you say, as a professional bird nerd, that it's possible that whenever you're going out to your, you know, chickadee feeder and you hear the different chirps, that they're kind of like gossiping about you? They're like, <laughs> "Oh man, this guy didn't bring seeds. What a joke." <laughs> You certainly, you know, sometimes it feels that way. You go out, uh, you know, in the morning and they're waiting for you to, mm -hmm. to fill your bird feeder. And and uh, we certainly had, you know, ruby ruby throated hummingbirds fly up to the window when the feeder's empty. And you, <laughs> you do wonder uh, if they're trying to communicate. Like human, where's my food? Exactly. Excuse me. <laughs> I mean, we know more and more that they're communicating uh, across species. And, uh, yes. and not just, you know, with other species of birds or communicating with squirrels or communicating with uh, with all kinds of different things. And, you know, some of the smarter birds, uh, like ravens, you know, they've learned uh -huh. uh, all kinds of different things about humans. They hear a, a gunshot and they will come in during deer hunting season to see if there no was way. a successful, yeah, a successful wow. kill. And, of course, you know, when, when people gut the deer, they leave uh, lots of good stuff for them. And so yeah. they're extremely smart. Uh, you know, I always joke it's one of the species I won't study because it's smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a rule. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, the complexity of a, a corvid, like a crow or a raven vocalization mm -hmm. or blue jay, uh, you really start to see the kind of pinnacle of communication. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of crazy how you said that the, the bird was smarter than you. That's kind of the impression I got, too. <laughs> I was reading all these papers, and like, they, they can speak how many bird languages? Yeah. Like, a chickadee, uh, like, generally speaking, there's the, uh, they've got the, the mouse tit. Is that, is that the... The titmouse, titmouse, titmouse. <laughs> I, I got uh, mouse right, bird mouse, and tough to titmouse mix. Oh man, I would love to talk about the mouse bird, but yeah. I, uh, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, that's a, that is a whole nother. I'm definitely going to do an episode on, on mouse birds <laughs> uh, or something of the like. Now you said that uh, birds can actually communicate to some degree with uh, with with squirrels and other other mm -hmm. species. Yeah, is it possible that humans 
can talk to birds. Sure, yeah, birders do this all the time. You know, uh, usually it's a little bit dishonest. You know, they're trying yeah. to uh, pull the birds in uh, so they can get a good look at them. But and it's uh, it's not by singing a Snow White song and having all the birds it, come and land on your arms. It's stuff. not, but you it can you know if you imitate the the song you know of a lot of birds, uh, uh, males come in angry and and females <laughs> might come in to to get a look at you. Oh wow. So. Oh. Uh, but again, it's a little it's a little dishonest in that uh, we're typically imitating a, a situation or a wild bird that uh, uh-huh. isn't there. So it sounds like for those those at home, maybe don't don't do this too much. Don't scare <laughs> your birds. But if they did want to do it, uh, what would what would that sound like? Well, there's different ones you could do. So a chickadee, you know, they have mm. this Phoebe. The male song is this. That's better. <laughs> yeah, and so that's the male song attracting a mate, but also defending against uh, other males uh, during the breeding season. You'll hear them practice it as well in the, in the fall and in the spring. Wow. Uh, but the sounds that birders usually make um, involve that scolding that we mm-hmm. talked about before. And it's uh, a sound that they make when they encounter like a little small owl, like a northern sawwood owl. Right. And uh, these are extremely dangerous at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during the day, they're much less of a risk, and so the chickadees will create uh, a, a harsh sound, uh, and they'll draw in other birds, uh, and essentially scold or mob the the owl. And you know, the the function we think is to uh, attempt to drive the owl away, right. so that it's it's safe to sleep that night. Uh, or draw in a, a predator of, of the owl, which often happens. Uh, things oh, like wow. a cooper's hawk will come in and they will eat that sawwood owl. Uh, so I think that's kind of, you know, the, the happiest ending to the event. Uh, yeah, for a chickadee at for least. For a chickadee, yeah. Maybe that's, that's, that's a little bit of a red in tooth and claw for the rest of us <laughs> watching, watching it. Oof. Oh, I don't. So what would, that, what would that sound like? So that sound sounds like... And they, when they, when they do it, when the chickadees do it, it's usually that dee 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 dee. But we can make different versions of it that sound like different species. So we can sound like, you know, like a red-eyed vireo. This, or we could do like a blue-headed vireo, kind of a. Or we could do a wren. Like sometimes they do ticks in that. This like tick 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 tick. You know, I'm really glad that this is talking to birds and not squirrels, because then whenever I'm making these ridiculous sounds, I'm going to be far in the woods and no one, no one can see me going. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the squirrels have their versions, too, and uh, most people oh, yeah? have probably heard gray squirrel. I can't really do it myself, but uh, you'll hear them doing these, uh, these harsh scolding, and superficially huh. they sound quite a bit like the scolding calls of birds. Huh. Well, that's something for everyone at home to Google. <laughs> All right, I'm going to I'm going to move on that. That's absolutely fascinating. Um but one thing that I was I was particularly shocked by when I was, you know, digging around in the depths of Google. I'm going to quote from a Wikipedia article. Birdsong is the best developed in the order passeriformes. Mm-hmm. Some groups are nearly vocalless or voiceless, producing only percussive and rhythmic sounds such as the storks, which clatter their bills. Now this to me, like you know, when you think of bird the next thing you think of is bird song mm-hmm. and like and and vocalization in that way and i am absolutely entranced by the the sheer number of birds that don't that have just you know scuffled that away and just not not at all really touched that in in evolution at least not to the same degree 
as the enormous siren white bellbird. So I'm going to pull up. Have you uh, have you seen the club winged mannequin? I have. Yes. Yeah, okay. In Ecuador. Yes. I'm half watching this for my for my own interest. <laughs> <laughs> now that. Mm, excuse me. That uh. That is that espresso hot chocolate is. <laughs> um, that that uh, I'm I'm gonna cut in the sound there for the for the viewers, but essentially, would you would you be able to paint us a picture? Um, just describe what what this looks like. Sure. Yeah. So uh, we've got a, a very small bird. The males gather in the foothills of uh, and and kind of uh, a cloud forest of Ecuador, and they all kind of uh, come together like a lek, like mm-hmm. we were talking about, to attract females. And the way they do it is this display where they have uh, specially modified feathers on their wings mm-hmm. uh, that create some amazing sounds. And the display, there's a visual display that goes with it, where they have their their wings, you know, contorted to uh, kind yeah. of look like uh, uh, almost unbird like uh-huh. uh and you know the ones that do it best are the ones that end up being chosen by females now it's my understanding this this is a very similar mechanism to what crickets use that- yeah well yeah it's a it's like a physical you know um way of creating sound you know with with uh-huh. appendages essentially and there's a few birds that 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 do that oh yes i have i have a few different different examples uh possibly i I mean, maybe maybe this is just me being absolutely ridiculous and missing out on something uh, that everyone else knew. But um, this is a grouse. And according to Martha Fisher from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, which I should give a shout out for this episode because they did most of my research for me. A grouse, it beats its wings and creates uh, kind of a mini sonic boom, mm-hmm. which is, oh man, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to I'm, I'm just going to play it really quick. No, I it's it's something that you less hear so much as feel. Yeah, and I can I, I, obviously there's a whole slew of birds appearing in mythology and like birds representing the afterlife and and, and, and you know good luck or bad luck or imminent death or all, all this <laughs> all this other stuff. And I didn't really see why until I started looking at some of these birds. Uh-huh. Like if I was if I was like alone in the woods in like the you know 700 AD and it was getting dark. And I just hear this, dun, 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 dun. you know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, great. Like a demon's coming to eat me. <laughs> like that's absolutely. So what, what scenarios would, uh, would grouses, like what, why, why are they doing that? So it's the same kind of thing. The males in that case are displaying and the way they do it, uh, they have, you know, they're not so much a, a clustered lek. They're kind of scattered around, mm-hmm. but each male has a drumming log and they're holding on to it and creating this amazing you know, um, a deep sound that attracts in the females. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, around Kingston, it's quite a common thing to hear in the spring, you know, mm-hmm. in April and, and May. I hope uh, not. Oh, it's I'll be, great. I'll be terrified. It's great. And you well, I mean, feel maybe it, not now. You know, it yeah. is, it's something you feel before you hear. Uh, and it's just a, a classic sound of the forest uh, in our region. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, so that, that I feel like when you initially imagine sounds being made by something other than you know the, the vocal cords if that's the vocal cords mm-hmm. yeah. in birds that's kind of what you imagine i feel like and for, for me it, it still kind of reminds me of when i was a kid you'd make fart fart noises with your uh-huh. arms that <laughs> i still can't get that image out of my head but there's one that absolutely 
just just blew me away. Uh, the Wilson's snipe. Um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna play the sound first, just so that everyone can can take a take a gander at what this 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 uh, might be exactly. Now I, I want everyone at home just to like picture and, and guess, you know, how how a bird might make that kind of sound. And when I first heard it, I had to Google like five different sources to make sure that this is actually what they're doing. But as it turns out, I'm gonna quote from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Um, another example, the Wilson snipe, Galenago delicata, <laughs> uses special tail feathers which it spreads during an earthward dive. As it plummets down, it beats its wings in a way that guides the air through the feathers, creating a winnowing sound. I'm just going to play it again so that everyone can know that, that this is not coming from a bird's, bird's vocal box. It's coming from their wings. Yes, it's come from the tail in, in, in many tail, ways. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, you hear that too. There's another classic sound of Kingston. You know, if you're out, uh, they like uh, more open country and marsh, uh, but uh, in the spring, you know, April, mm-hmm. um, early morning, that's the first thing you'll hear. That and, and the other closely related uh, shore bird, American woodcock, that also has amazing yes. aerial display, also creating these sounds with feather modifications. Oh, and th- so this is, this is an even specific to the snipe this is something no, that's yeah. widespread in birds it is it's i wouldn't say it's widespread but right. it's uh, it's not uh, you know it's certainly evolved more than once and and wow. uh, and it's prominent in some groups that's absolutely fascinating i'm, I'm going to talk about one one last uh the pileated 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 woodpecker uh-huh. that's one that we saw at uh the cube strip that's um, right yeah. that was absolutely super interesting um and of course they like many birds can can vocalize a, a, a call, um, but one specifically interesting thing that I that, that woodpeckers do is they communicate by knocking on wood, kind of like a like a drum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so whenever I, as a kid growing up, I I would be like you know skiing around in the winter or whatever, and I'd see a woodpecker, um, and it started drumming, and I assumed it was looking for food. But as it turns out, a lot of the time they're actually using that wood to to communicate. Would you like to tell us a little bit about what they might be saying? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's done by both males and females, and it's mm-hmm. often used in uh, territorial communication. And so, you know, a lot uh, like the the bellbird, they're trying to communicate over large distances, mm-hmm. and the pileated, being the largest of the yes. woodpeckers here, uh, has big territories, and they're trying to communicate, you know, across the other territories as well. So they have a very loud territorial uh, call, mm-hmm. but the loudest and best in terms of of communicating long distances is the drumming. And so if you ever see them foraging, it's, you know, this kind of tap, tap, they're chiseling out the wood. Uh-huh. But when you hear that drum, it is just amazing, you know, loud, this hollow sounding, you know, carries for, for forever. Now, do you, do you think there's any kind of correlation between the fact that it's used as a communication device and uh, as, as a means of getting food? Like, do you think maybe, I, I love to inference, that, that sound being created by the, by the birds is kind of them signaling like, oh yeah, I'm so good at finding food, you don't want to mess with me. Like, this is how fast I can find food. <laughs> yeah, it certainly could be. I mean, you know, often I think it's, uh, it's defending territories and, you know, if, if it's used to attract mates, they have a courtship display as well that oh, yeah. they, they point their bills up and they move them back and forth. So there's more to it once they kind of meet, you know, uh-huh. in, in person. Uh, but I think certainly the, the, the drumming uh, originates in woodpeckers from their, their ability to, 
to uh, find food. And, you know, if, it's, it's easy to make that connection because if they drummed and, and they were a regular bird, they'd knock themselves unconscious. Yes. They wouldn't be able to And they to have an it. absolutely fascinating adaptation that allows them to just bang their head as hard as they like against a wood. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because uh, each uh, spring, you know, I used to work at the Canadian Museum of Nature and mm-hmm. we would get a flood of calls of people uh, angry that, uh, you know, a woodpecker was, was trying to find insects in their metal pipes of their <laughs> wood stoves and they couldn't understand why they would think there are insects there. Yeah. Of course, they, they'd get woken up by the sound. Of course, they're not looking for insects. <laughs> they find those metal pipes to be one great way of communicating. Yeah. Uh, beautiful sound carries for a long way. Wow. I, I do want to throw in a, a quick quick bobble there. The way that they're able to, um, you know, sustain this incredible, otherwise trauma to their head uh, is their tongue is actually wrapped. Uh, would you, you, you know better about the anatomy of this than I do. Well, they, they have a cushion right at the back of their head, and it's uh-huh. also where their tongue comes out, although the tongue oh, right. doesn't actually cushion. Okay. Uh, but they do have an amazing cushion in the back of their head that, uh, that acts uh, to... Um, you know, kind of ease the blow yeah. uh, so that they, they wouldn't, you know, be knocked right unconscious. Like a built-in pillow. Yeah. The force, <laughs> oh, the force is remarkable. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to switch over to visual communication now. And this is, I think, where, of course, birds of paradise are the epitome of visual communication, mm-hmm. just with their runaway evolution, all these ridiculous colors. Uh, one that I chose because, I mean, obviously, if we were to talk about all the Birds of Paradise, I, I, we need a fair few episodes. Um, but one that, that was really interesting to me, uh, also easy to kind of discuss through a, through a podcast, uh, is the Bowerbird. And one really interesting thing about the Bowerbird is, uh, aside from kind of creating a, a stage to you know perform his, his ritual uh at. he also this is this is one thing maybe I'm, maybe i'm nitpicking something because i'm i'm so used to being blown away with uh, all the other interesting stuff like the fact that it builds a stage mm-hmm. to woo its to woo its mate it dilates its pupils just kind of like kind of like big small big small and then you know like he'll he'll kind of like bobble around his head and it, one eye will be small and the other one will be big and they're just like switching back and forth and like what <laughs> what uh, how 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 did that? Uh, what are they communicating there? Like they're just like look look how I can make use my eyes in terms really of well, the I eyes. Guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think uh, well, I mean the the short answer is we don't know what they're communicating, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but certainly there's some abilities uh, there, you know that. Uh, that could uh, provide, you know, honest information for females about maybe their cognitive abilities or their abilities to adjust, <laughs> okay. you know, independently, right side versus left, and it yeah. might be relevant, you know, for for finding food or something like that. Can you can you imagine uh, being sent into a job interview? <laughs> you know that you pass the first couple questions, and they're like, okay, okay, you're doing great so far. Uh, now we're going to need to see you dilate your pupils as fast as you can, just <laughs> independently. Like back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> It is amazing, though. You know, the the bowerbirds are a different family from the birds of paradise. But you oh, really? See, yeah, uh, but you see kind of different. So the bowerbirds, of course, are famous for their bowers that they build simply uh-huh. for display. But one of the things that's also famous about bowerbirds is their ability to collect items and display them. And oh, really? Different species like satin bowerbirds really go for blue and purple. And they will find these things, you know, everything, plastic stuff, everything, uh-huh. you know, berries uh, to display to females. And we think, again, that that is some, some indication of their abilities, 
you know, uh, uh, to forage, to, you know, to find, yeah, find I guess so. things of interest. And, and that's, uh, and then of course, you know, being, being, uh, birds, they start stealing from one another and all kinds of different <laughs> things. Uh, but again, it's, it's females coming in and, and selecting males. And, that is uh, amazing how much personality can be found just in like one, one species of bird. Yeah. I think people don't realize that, uh, you know, when you study birds, uh, one of the cool things about them is that you get to know the individuals mm-hmm. and they are extremely different uh just like people you know oh, wow. there are individuals that you get to know that are you know kind of ornery and you know, <laughs> and then you get some you know that are sweet and docile and, yeah uh, just checking nests, you know, for some species. I remember in one population of dusky flycatchers, you actually I had to roll the female over. She wouldn't get off the nest to, to count the number of eggs. And and then uh, most females, of course, fly off when you when you walk up to a nest. Yeah. So very different personalities. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because one that I was, I was really interested in when I was, you know, Googling absolutely everything I could was the killdeer sandpiper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plover, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, and I remember I was... Um, I was tree planting in BC two years ago, uh, and I was walking back, you know, everything hurting as has happens in tree planting. And then I saw this bird with a kind of like a, a wing that was like all, all limp on the side. Uh-huh. I was like, oh no, is, is the bird okay? And so I, I started walking over to the bird and it tucked away the wing and it skirted, you know, scurried a few meters away and uh-huh. then started flagging its wing again. Like, oh no, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. Uh-huh. Help me. Or, or, you know, come get me, I guess is more, yeah. the, more the signal. And I, I ended up spending about 20 minutes like, like <laughs> chasing this bird. And finally, uh, it just gets up and it flies away. Yeah. And I feel absolutely cheated. And I went back and I told my <laughs> foreman about it. And um, it turns out that the, the killdeer sandpiper, and quite possibly uh, sandpipers, I assume, use the same strategy. Sandpipers, when you come close to their nest, they will, the mothers especially, will, will kind of, they, they'll put on a little bit of show of being sick or wounded so that the, uh, the the predators might come for them instead of spending the time to search the area for for the nest. And they'll use that kind of like little... Little, little theater display of drama. <laughs> oh, woe is me. I have a broken wing. I'm going to be eaten by this big tree planter to, to lead them away from the nest. And then eventually when the when the nest is safe, you know, far enough away and safe, then they'll just get up and fly away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, I mean, as Shakespeare said, all world's a stage, all the men, women in it, merely players. I guess you just forgot to mention the sandpipers too. <laughs> yeah, so that's quite common in the plovers, and and that's oh, yeah? uh, and killdeer's one of them, and and uh, I think a lot of people know the killdeer for that display, uh-huh. given that they'll nest in parking lots and you know gravel. <laughs> they really like gravel. Yeah, and it fools a lot of people, but there's actually a lot of birds will do that kind of display. Oh yeah, uh, some of the warblers will do what we call a little rodent run, uh, <laughs> where they put their wings up above their back and run along. Uh, stopping frequently, running along the ground, uh-huh. and uh, we've seen video of of nests where um, you know chipmunks come upon this female running along like an <laughs> injured rodent, and they just they're mesmerized. They follow it all uh-huh. the way until it flies away, and you wow. know, chipmunks left kind of wondering <laughs> what what just happened. Where where did the mouse go? <laughs> That's wow. I mean. I, I knew about like caterpillars that look like little snakes and stuff, but the fact that the birds will go out of their way to put on a little bit of a show, mm-hmm. that's 
that's amazing. That's and they, a they, bobble and a half. They do it in different ways, too. If you're yeah. out uh, around here and uh, encounter a female wild turkey or rough grouse, they will, instead of putting on a display that they are weak and injured uh, when they have kids, they will put on a display that they are uh, nasty and dangerous. <laughs> yeah, uh, they the will, sounds of the wings. They will yeah. puff themselves up, and the females will run at you. <laughs> And uh, I've seen more than one dog run scared, you know, away yeah. from these things, uh, even though, uh, you know, they're just defending their kids. Yeah, a puffball like that runs at me. I'm probably going to be right there with a the dog running away. <laughs> one really physical communication. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the 12-wired tickler? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, would you like to just paint us a, a picture here of what this uh, what this guy is? Yeah, so this is a bird of paradise, and uh-huh. uh, they have some modified, uh, I think it's tail feathers, although I can't remember. It might be uh, upper tail coverts, uh, okay. but they come out the back of the, the tail, mm-hmm. uh, and they're very thin, uh, like little wires. And in the display, part of the display is tickling the females <laughs> when they come in with these little modified feathers. Yeah. Uh, again, another case of just craziness that's evolved uh, through sexual selection in the birds of paradise. Yeah, so, I mean, this, I, I never thought I'd see the day where one species courts another by tickling the other's face with its butt hairs. <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, butt wires, butt feathers. I, yeah. it, to me, as, a, as an undergrad student, you know, <laughs> that looks like a bird with massive butt hair. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, are there any other kinds of, uh, kind of like that, that physical touch communication? There is, yeah. Um, you know, you see it actually quite a bit in birds that have these uh, long-term pair bonds. So things like parrots mm-hmm. will alloprene, and so the, the pairs pre- take turns preening each other, mm-hmm. often around the neck and the, and the head where it's difficult to clean yourself right. as a bird. Uh, and you see that in a number of different uh, species, you, there's even cases of it across species, and we don't really, oh, really? understand that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's unclear whether that's just a mistake or whether uh, that's actually uh, there's some sort of uh, relationship uh, there. Uh, but that's probably the most common, you know, kind of uh, touching that that I can think of. You mm-hmm. know, in ter- other than you know, obviously copulation things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's usually pretty brief, though. There's one. Um, there's one kind of bird. I... I feel almost bad for mentioning it because I didn't write down its name. Um, where it, it 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 is similarly a bird of paradise, and it'll uh, it'll you know clear its stage and put on a show. Uh, and one of the last portions of the the courtship is it comes up to the female, and it starts headbutting them, just just like kind of like a like a. Is strange kind of nudge. Is that the with the with the head feathers? Yeah, I believe so. Uh-huh. Yeah, or it just comes up and <laughs> it starts. That's, I mean. Birds have so many different languages that they're speaking that we really, like, know so little about. Mm-hmm. And I, I I, mean, I know that I was kind of born into a situation where the world's ending a little bit. And, you know, like, the, the population's going to hit cap and acid rain's going to, you know, be a big thing. <laughs> but that's a whole other series of podcasts. Um, but I might have been born in, in the right time to be able to, within the next and maybe this is a conservative estimate, but next 20 years, walk out into a forest with Google Translate on, 
and, and be able to know exactly what the birds are saying. It's possible. I think, you know, we, you know for some of our common birds that have very complex sounds, uh, um, languages, mm-hmm. uh, like chickadees, I think, you know, maybe, maybe we will get to that point. Yeah. Uh, so many birds are so poorly known, you know, um, especially tropical ones. And mm-hmm. a lot of those tropical ones have some of the most complex uh, communications because they they live together and they live a long time together. Mm. Uh, and that's different. You know, our birds up here often don't live that long. And so these long-term pair bonds uh, in the tropics, you see amazing relationships uh, even across species over very long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know very little about them. Yeah, I was um, in preparation with uh, with quotes because really I was being more or less lazy. Um, I was watching this Netflix special on birds, and there was one really interesting one, uh, the, the Philippine eagle, oh, which, yeah. of course, is incredibly endangered now. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, uh, and, endangerment and... You know, deforestation aside, there there was so much character being conveyed in the interaction between the the, the chick and its parents, mm-hmm. where, I mean, I, I felt almost bad because uh, as I was watching it, and you know, the chick is like sitting in its like little little rough bundle of feathers, and it's just like yelling, asking for more mice or, or whatever. I kind of had a <laughs> monkeys fly- actually. Oh, monkeys! <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they're they're, yeah. they're called the, the monkey eaters. Yeah, yeah, they're, and they're absolutely massive. Yeah, those, those birds. they are. I kind of had a little bit of a flashback to myself as a kid, you uh-huh. know, sitting in my bed. Mom, yeah. <laughs> give me my ice water. And then, like, there, there's so much, there, there's so much, like, personality and depth in these species. Mm-hmm. And we know so little about, about them. And I think it's, it's, it's such a pity that we're treating the world as we are because we're, we might not ever get the, the chance to really get to know these species that we've lived with for so long. Yeah, the Philippine eagle is one that uh, I'm not sure is going to last uh, much longer, mm. given the pressures on it. I'm going to transition a little bit with a, a quote from a bird poet from the 1800s named John Burroughs, from his John Burroughs collection, Birds and Poets, Part 3, A Bird Medley. There is something almost pathetic in the fact that birds remain forever the same. You grow old, your friends die or move to distant lands, events sweep on, and all things are changed. Yet there in your garden or orchard are the birds of your boyhood. The same notes, the same calls, and, to all intents and purposes, the identical birds endowed with perennial youth. The swallows that built so far out of your reach beneath the eaves of your father's barn, the same ones now squeak and chatter beneath the eaves of your barn. The warblers and shy woodbirds you pursued with such glee over so many summers ago, and whose names you taught to some beloved youth who now, perchance, sleeps amid his native hills. No marks of time or change cling to them. And when you walk out of the strange woods, there they are, mocking you with their ever-renewed, joyous youth. The call of high holes, the whistle of the quail, the strong, piercing note of the meadowlark, the drumming of the grouse. How these sounds ignore the ears and strike on the ears with the melody of that springtime when the world was young, and life was all holiday and romance. Now, it's beautiful, but I don't think it's going to be true for very much longer. I'm going to do a quick plug to a pretty surprising uh, set of numbers that Cornell Lab of Ornithology gave me. One in four bird species since 1970, and about 2.9 billion birds in North America alone have disappeared in the last 50 years. That is atrocious. That yeah. is a, a, an enormous number. And 
I'm sorry, John Burroughs, but I think your your poem might be going out of date here because this this is a, a bit of a crisis, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It was a shocking uh, reveal, even though we knew a lot of species were declining. I think the numbers mm. were so staggering that, uh, you know, it caused a lot of people to kind of, uh, you know, choke when they saw them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of attention now, um, thanks to that paper. Yeah. Uh, will there be action that follows? I, I don't know. You know, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, I, I saw, you know, you think back to the crisis of DDT and Rachel Carson, right. kind of, uh, instrumental in, in uh, getting people to act. And we did act and we did have a, a strong response. And now, you know, we see bald eagles uh, every winter here in Kingston uh, mm. in great numbers again. We see Merlin yeah. moving back into the city and breeding. Um, you know, we need that kind of response uh, again uh, to address the factors that are causing these massive declines. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to give them a little bit of a, a plug here at the end as well. Uh, for anyone who's interested in helping change those numbers, uh, you can visit give.birds.cornell.edu. It's a really good cause, and it's tax, tax deductible. So, <laughs> you know, that's uh, something to think about. Uh, but other than that, that's all I had for the episode. Uh, did you have anything that you wanted to to share or or say? Uh, no, I mean, I guess the in terms of communication, the songs and sounds of birds, you mm-hmm. know, they they certainly inspire us and and bring back those kind of vivid memories, like uh, like a smell or a you know like uh-huh. a. And I I still remember um, you know Earl Godfrey talking about his favorite bird song, the, the hermit thrush, and it was almost like hermit a thrush. It's almost religious for him, you know, the sound of the the northern woods. And, you know, every spring uh, when we have a chance to hear it, it's just, uh, you know, kind of brings back this feeling uh, that uh, not a lot of things can, I think. Well, maybe at the end of the episode there, I'll cut in uh, a little taste of the hermit thrush. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining me on Biology Bobbles, episode two. Thanks for having this me. This is Paul Martin from Queen's University. Or that was Paul Martin from Queen's University. This is uh, Thor Van Walsum from the Woman the Saint Queen's University, Kingston. Uh, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences.